Hello and welcome to Pod Save the King, the podcast which aims to guide Britain into the 21st century through the use of discussion and debate. I'm Conor Stanislauskas and beside me is Alison Bally, great auntie, co-host and fellow historian. This episode will be exploring our history theme, including the labour movement, the beginning of strike action and a review of some famous strikes. Remember, you can listen to us on a walk, before a talk, in the park or in the dark on your preferred podcast app or website. So... I mean, I know we our, our last podcast came out last week, but Happy New Year if this is the first one you're listening to. Um, you know, me, myself and my auntie, we've had some great experiences over the Christmas period and New Year. So, uh, yeah, should we get down to business? We certainly shall. So, um, we're going to start with the labour movement today. Um, so, for those that don't know, obviously the, the political party, the Labour Party in the UK... Um, originated from trade unions and strike action. Um, So Labour grew out of the trade union movement about the late 19th century and surpassed the Liberal Party as main opposition to the Conservatives in the early 1920s. I mean, as we know, due to the Industrial Revolution, 18th century conditions were terrible, wages were low, and it was natural for workers to, you know, join together as a combination or trade union for, well, mutual support to negotiate for better pay or conditions. And even today, the main weapon for organised workers was to withdraw, well, the labour until the employer accepted their demands. So do you want to talk a bit about that? Um, so, obviously, in eighteen thir- around like the 1830s, coal and steel workers in the south of Wales began to mass protest against low wages and employment. Um, I don't want to butcher the Welsh pronunciation, but the Merthyr Rising was notable for the first time the red flag was used, you know, to represent the movement. Um, Events like these continued until around, you know, the 1870s, when a royal commission decided that there could be advantages to collective bargaining for employers and trade union. And it was at that point that, trade unions were legalised in the UK. Um, so do you want to talk about that? Yeah, notably though, the, the 1871, the trade union movement, it, it was to to reform, as you've said, the socio-economic conditions for working men yeah. in British industries. So I think that's just a reflection that uh, it was predominantly men that, were, that made up the workforce. Um it's worth saying, I think, that trade unions are independent organisations and they are there to represent the workers' uh, concerns to their employers. Just a bit of a, a history lesson, there are four types of trade union trade unions. Oh, are right, we okay. aware of that? So there's the craft type of trade union, so they're representing skilled workers. There's the general trade union, which... Uh, represent unskilled workers, but in across many occupations. Industrial trade unions, they generally represent workers from a same, the same occupation, so miners, for instance. Oh, right. And then there's something called the professional or white-collar trade unions. 
that represent skilled workers that work mostly in the service industries, so like office, restaurants, oh, yeah. etc. Um, and also another bit of history: the first strike. When would you think that was, Connor? First Oof. recorded strike action. Late mid eighteen hundreds. That's that's a, that's a reasonable guess. Completely wrong, but reasonable guess. All right. Yeah. So the first strike was recorded in ancient Egypt wow in 1152 BC before Crikey. Christ so what was that all about well the workers were upset about the quality and the quantity of the rations that they were receiving wow. so they took the concerns to the ruler the pharaoh Ramesses the 3rd and they won wow through negotiation the Quality and the quantity of the rations improved immensely. Um, would you like me to carry on with yeah, my yeah. historical Continue. review of uh, famous industrial action? A very notable one was the Match Girls strike of 1888. Right. Notable because they were girls, yeah. first of all, females, and their job was to make matchsticks. So you'll probably all know, because they're still going today, Bryanton May. And the they were very poorly paid, long hours. But also, a lot of them, if they worked in that job for a long period of time, they got necrosis of the jawbone. So this oh. is where the jawbone was, was effectively killed off or oh, okay. deteriorated. And the reason for that is they use white phosphorus to make the matchsticks. Wow. So not only were they poorly paid, worked long hours, there was a health and safety concern regarding the white phosphorus. Yeah. So 1,400 girls walked out, which must have been an incredible thing to do. Oh, yeah. In terms of the number of workers, but also the fact that they were young and Girls this is and women. years before the suffragette movement, years before, you know, women fought yes. properly for their voice. Yes, that's right. Wow. So, um, so they went on strike and they won. So their conditions improved. So Bryanton May must have thought... You know, these girls are going out. They'll, they'll soon buckle under and come back. But they won. So that's... I mean, good on them. Absolutely. So the next... You could argue, I think one of the... We mentioned it briefly in the last podcast about a general strike. What is a general strike? And there was a general strike in 1926. Wow. And this is where a lot of workers from different professions, which you'd referenced previously, all come and stage industrial action together. So the, it was 1926, the miners, we've seen lots and lots of examples of miners' strike. Um, they were out on strike about paying conditions and lots of other workers across different uh, sectors joined force. So 1.7 million workers, now I'm not sure what proportion of the population it was in 1926 but I would imagine it was pretty high yeah, quite a lot 1.7 million workers were out for nine days wow in support of the miners unfortunately 
Um, the strike was called off after nine days and the miners had to buckle under and accept the conditions of work. But during that short period of time, nine days, 165 million working days was lost. That was unbelievable. And the damage that would have done to the economy at the time. Yeah. Wow. To have a general strike is an absolutely massive, massive oh, yeah. event. So, moving on, a bit closer to... Um, to, to us, well, certainly to me, I remember this very distinctly, was um, the winter of discontent. Under Margaret Thatcher? No. No? No. It was, was Labour government. Oh, yeah. The winter of 78-79 became known as the winter of discontent as widespread strikes across multiple trade unions brought Britain to a standstill. So we had the three-day week, there was um, power cuts, uh, we had to open up gas fires and go back to coal. Was that Callaghan? It was James Callaghan's oh. Labour government had imposed wage limits. Yeah. And the TUC were not happy about these having wage limits imposed upon them. And it was the coldest winter for 16 years, which led to the absolutely widespread unrest across the country and was instrumental in bringing down the Labour government as Margaret Thatcher had a landslide victory in 1979. She did. And um, I know that the Conservatives at the time created one of the most famous political pieces of political propaganda ever. And it was uh, the unemployment office with a long line. Of, Labour's not working. Well, yes, uh, Labour's not working. One of the most remember. famous posters yeah. Yeah. in political history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I guess uh, moving even uh, further forward was the miners' strike of nineteen eighty four eighty five, and this is actually regarded. It might be the longest strike. I'm not sure, but it was certainly regarded as the most bitter industrial dispute in our British history. Wow. It was huge. 26 million days were lost due to the strike. Wow. And there were over 11,000 arrests because there was a lot of... The police were sent in to break down the pickets. Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, a lot of violence attached to that industrial action. And it split communities, it split families... Um, and it, it ultimately it failed, and the reason, one of the reasons for its failure is that um, the strike was declared without them having a national vote. Wow! So the leader of the National Union of Mine Workers said, "We're not happy about this. We're out without having this national vote." Um, And it was de- and actually it was declared illegal in September 1984. So saying because they'd not had this national vote, they'd not got this majority of people saying we want to go on strike. Yeah, it was declared illegal, and they didn't have the support of other big unions in the country. Um, so one of the aims, really, it is said, is that Margaret Thatcher wanted to 
reduce the power of trade unions. And right, probably yeah. the NUM at that time was probably one of the biggest unions. So it lasted a very, very long time and it was very, very detrimental to communities, to society. And what did it result in? Job losses, pit closures, political unrest and the start of uh, foreign coal imports into the country. And ultimately, in December 1994, the coal industry was privatised. In 1983, Britain had 175 working pits, all of them closed by 2015. Wow. So quite a deliberate policy to reduce nationalised industries, reduce trade union power and open up the market, which yeah. was a conservative policy. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose that period of time, you know, that kind of that, that that time of strike action that really impacted Margaret Thatcher's premiership. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that contributed to quite a mass po- unpopularity of her. You would think so, but she went on to rule till 1997. She, yeah. So I think. It's... Well, well, I think it was. It, it, I think it was 1991. Major oh. took over. Yeah. I beg your pardon. Yeah. Quite right. Um, yeah, so, yeah, there was, there was lots of policies that she introduced which were tremendously unpopular, but I think a lot of people did admire her for being a very, very strong leader. She was, yeah, and I think this is what, you know, we're not seeing in, in the 21st century. Margaret Thatcher, regardless of your opinion on her, whether it's a negative or a positive, and across the UK, I'm not sure about around the world, but across the UK, it's very divided. I'm sure if, if, if we held a referendum, we do like having referendums in this country, uh, I'm sure if we held a referendum on Margaret Thatcher's popularity, it'd be a 50-50 split. Yeah. So, love her or hate her, I mean, she was a politician that stuck to her beliefs. You know, she wasn't a career politician whatsoever. Absolutely not. No, absolutely. She, she steadfastly believed in the policies that she pursued. Um, a famous phrase, the lady's not for turning. You can yeah. turn if you want to, but I'm, I had this lady's not for turning. But I think ultimately that um, that strong self-belief, I think, was ultimately her downfall. Oh, yeah. Because she became increasingly not listening to colleagues, she wasn't consulting with colleagues and she became very isolated. Yeah. There was a famous sketch on Spitting Image at the time where they all go to a restaurant, Margaret Thatcher and her cabinet, and the waiter comes over and she says, I'll have the fish, and he says, vegetables, and she says, they'll have the same. So she was referring to her cabinet members as vegetables. Yeah. And I think, I mean, as extreme as it sounds, I think that, in a way, I think she just thought she was above yeah. all her colleagues. She knew the right way and that it was going to be pursued at any cost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, um, is there anything else you'd like to uh, No, I think we're up to date with our strikes because we covered... Uh, our most recent industrial action in the last podcast. Yeah, we did. Um, 
And so, at the start, we mentioned Labour and, you know, how the Labour Party kind of was built upon strike action and trade unions. So, let's carry on a bit about that. Let's carry on a bit with that. Um, so, um, basically, at the time of, you know, early 1900s, the parties in the House of Commons, which is our elected chamber in the UK... The party in the House of Commons, all of them, well, most of them, should I say, represented uh, business owners and employers. So the trade unions saw they'd have a party that would represent them. Um, Basically, they set up the Labour Party in 1900, which was funded by trade unions, funded by people that wanted to strike and workers... And um, in the early 1900s, they quickly surpassed the Liberal Party at the time as the Conservatives' main opposition. And I think this just, you know, reflects the times that we was in, in the early 1900s. Because just in 24 years, they'd surpassed the Conservatives' main opposition and replaced them. And then by 1924, you know, Labour formed the first administration. Um, using, as I said previously, trade unions as its main source of funding. Now, obviously, we know Labour, now, to this day, what, more than 100 years later, is still the Conservatives' main opposition. I mean, the UK is considered a somewhat two-party system where, you know, Labour and Conservative dominate in the polls. I think in the past general elections since Labour was formed, the Conservative, obviously bar World War Two, where it was a coalition. Labour and Conservative collectively in this country have taken up 80% of the, of the popular vote. Now, that's massive. And the fact that Labour was built from working people, working people that wanted to support themselves and their families, I think that's, that, that's a brilliant signal to, to, to see. Um, would you like to add anything? Uh, yeah, I think... You know, obviously I agree with everything you said. It's a... Um it was born out of, you know, workers weren't treated very well and the only way that they could in, improve the situation was by working collectively. Um, I think I think just looking back, um, the Labour governments, there's the 64 to 70 and the 74 to 79 under Wilson and then James Callaghan, were a period of great change. So during that time, they ended the death penalty. Wow. Which is amazing. Uh, they decriminalised homosexuality. They had legislation to outlaw racial discrimination and the establishment of the Open University. Which is So there amazing. are quite significant things that happened. Um I guess 1979 was the beginning of the wilderness years for the Labour Party. So Michael Foote tried to then start to rebuild the party. Neil Kinnock took on the work of reconstruction with modernising reforms, which would be introduced by John Smith, who introduced one member, one vote, in order to... What's the word? Democrat, democrat, democratize the people's party. (laughs) Oh, God, sorry about that. Um, And then Tony Blair 
Tony Blair, he was more... The Conservatives say he's the best politician they they never had. Yeah. And I think Tony Blair did want to modernise the party. Old Labour didn't fit the 1990s. Yeah. Um, And he absolutely, and I will remember it the day that he got into power for the rest of my life, because it felt like the dawn of a new era. New Labour, new Britain. New Britain, absolutely. There was record investment in the NHS, schools and the police. The introduction of the national minimum wage, which the Tories opposed, um, and the New Deal meant more jobs paying a decent wage, and uh, also the Good Friday Agreement that happened with Northern Ireland. So we've seen... Quite a rich history. Mass amount of success, ultimately started by trade unions. Um, I mean, let's be honest, trade unions have had a massive impact, not just throughout history, but to modern day. You know, improving the lives of working people across the UK. And I think that that's commendable. It is really commendable. Don't get me wrong. I mean, some acts have been controversial throughout history, as we've as we've explored. But I think what we've got to remember is the successes outweigh yes. the failures. And to that, I mean, I take my hat off to them all. Absolutely. Um, now we do wish many trade unions and many workers luck in the in the months and weeks to come. Do you know in in secure and what they need to feed the families and other things like that. Um, and I think on that note, it's right that we'll that we'll end the podcast here. Thank you for listening to Pod Save the King. That's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from me.